The Gospel according to Mark, the ninth chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And Jesus was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice, This is my Son, the Beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them to tell no one about what they'd seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. Today is Transfiguration Sunday, where we see Jesus on the mountain appearing as dazzling white, and the fullness of his identity as fully God is on display. One of the most striking and powerful moments of Jesus' earthly ministry. So given all of that, you might be a little surprised to my focus verse today, which reads, Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. Stick with me. You'll see where I'm going. What could the disciples perceive? I ask that question because I think we frequently can read this story and we think of the way Jesus was changed before them. After all, the word transfigure is from the Greek word metamorpho, where we get metamorphosis from. So it sure seems like that, but I wonder if that's accurate, that Jesus really changed What was changed, if you look carefully, was his outward appearance. His clothes became shining white. Other people show up around Jesus, Moses and Elijah. They talk with him. But Jesus himself, you'll notice, it doesn't say anything changes about him personally. In fact, the voice from the cloud that says, this is my beloved son, actually is a repeat. This same sentiment had already been presented at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, before Jesus says anything at his baptism. This, that says, you are my son the beloved, with whom I'm well pleased. There's actually nothing new presented here about Jesus. What has happened, though, is the disciples are able to perceive 
who this Jesus is in a new way. The work that Jesus has done over the course of this gospel, coming up to chapter 9, doing the very powerful things of God, implied that Jesus was fully God and fully within the glory of God. Here, they see Jesus conversing with Moses and Elijah. You'll notice Moses and Elijah don't speak to them. They're speaking to Jesus. And we have no reason to believe this was the first time said experience was there for Jesus. Just the first time the disciples could see it. Well, all of that suggests at the transfiguration, Jesus hasn't changed at all. What has happened is simply he's made explicit what was already implicit. And that he has been this whole time will now be known. I emphasize this because Transfiguration Sunday is always the last Sunday before the season of Lent. And this Wednesday we have Ash Wednesday and we'll be shifting toward the season of Lent where we emphasize the humanity of Jesus as he heads toward the cross. And because of that Lenten emphasis, I think sometimes people can have the sense, especially if you don't care for Lent very much, we can have the sense that we almost need this Transfiguration Sunday before all of that so that we can see Jesus in full power So then he can go and we can get through Lent where we see Jesus as a human who's suffering. As if the transfiguration is just that reminder that there's coming another high point after a seeming low several weeks. And the goal for today is just to kind of reminder of the brightness of the transfiguration to get through dreary Lent. Which is a feeling I know none of you hold. But I'd like us today to look at another aspect of transfiguration. Something that's not just about the brightness and the brilliance. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with him anymore, but only Jesus. See, I think we usually look at this story about the transfiguration and this text, and we think actually only part of it is the transfiguration. The part where Jesus is described as bright and shining and Moses and Elijah are there. And then at this point, at this verse, when they look around and see no one else, we assume the transfiguration is over. And now we're on to something else. And I think that tendency also fits with how we generally think about the disciples as these you know, hapless travelers who are relative fools who aren't going to understand. And so all they can see is the most basic aspect of Jesus is, so this Jesus on the mountain isn't going to work. We need to go back to normal. But today, I'd like to suggest something else. The text never says, Jesus was transfigured on the mountain, and then when he came down, he was not transfigured anymore. It also doesn't say 
Moses and Elijah stop speaking to Jesus. It says the disciples can't see it anymore. And implicitly we kind of assume that Jesus' clothes are no longer the dazzling white because no one ever mentions it again. But it doesn't say he's no longer transfigured, that this moment of power and transfiguration is over. Instead, what I would invite us to see is that when Jesus heads to the cross, which he'll do immediately following this in the Gospel of Mark. In fact, this is just after Jesus has for the first time predicted that he's going to suffer and die. That this scene of power leading toward these scenes of suffering are not two separate things. Instead, Jesus is the powerful one who's heading to the cross. Jesus, as transfigured and God's beloved Son, heads toward Jerusalem knowing He's going to set all things right. In the season of Lent, rather than it being Jesus having been powerful and glorified in the past and now humiliated and suffering, it is Jesus glorified and majestic in the present, even while being a very real human with human weakness. It's suggesting a way of living for us that might not be completely intuitive. I think we think of the suffering and death of Christ as fundamentally different than the resurrection of Christ. As if the death is Jesus' humanity and the resurrection, Jesus' divinity. A common misconception. But from the very incarnation itself, God becoming human, these are not two separate things. If Jesus is truly human, whether or not he was crucified, he was going to die. And rectifying all humanity in himself, he was going to be resurrected, no matter how he died. For God, those are not separate things. We might look at it as to say, one must lead to the next, but for the present reality, where we are right now, post-cross and empty tomb, the present reality God lives in, who God is now, these are both present. Jesus remains the one who died and was raised. Both things were true and remain true. I think in our own lives we feel that same tension. We live in both the world of death and pain and the world of new creation and the life that really is life. We trust that eventually the world of death and pain will pass away, but until that time, both death and resurrection are present for us right now. And I think many can resonate with that from your own experience. Very rarely are moments of pain and grief only painful. There is also hope and life. Just as moments of joy and exaltation are not without also pain and grief. Both things are always present all the time. And that's where Jesus meets us.
Jesus holds both things to be true and embodies both things at all times. The human experience we live in. So today, and next week, in the season of Lent, also both things are true. Our focus verse, suddenly when they looked around, they saw no one with them, but only Jesus. I I think when we hear that last bit, they saw no one but only Jesus, that we assume they missed out. They can't see the cloud, Moses or Elijah, only Jesus. But what if that's not something they missed out on? What if it's not such a negative to see Jesus alone? Moses and Elijah are still there. Jesus is just as much transfigured as he was on the top of that mountain as he's heading down it. But they see only Jesus. They know now that there is more going on than they can perceive, but what they can see and perceive in real time is Jesus who uniquely relates to them. Jesus who encapsulates both the suffering of the world and the glory of it. Both the death and the resurrection. This is a reality not developed so that we could talk about advanced Christology from the Council of Chalcedon, but experientially in our own lives. That the contradiction of this world, of one both of hope and new creation, while being in sin and death, and resurrection and new life, are all embodied in Jesus and Jesus alone. And they see Jesus alone. That God became a human so humans could be with God. That's the one they see. That's not a detriment for these disciples. They can't see Moses or Elijah or the clothes as dazzling white. What they see is Jesus looking like they look. They see the one who is God who is with us. The one who says, I am with you unto the end of the age. So what do the disciples perceive? What we perceive. That Jesus is with us at all times. Amen.